Hello, my name is Ben Burrell and welcome back to Bob Dylan Album by Album, a podcast that takes an in-depth look at each Bob Dylan studio recording, record by record. Nice one for all your messages after the last episode, all about the albums you want featured during season three. Uh, quite a varied response, actually, which I quite like. And also what I quite like is that most people want to hear about albums that you wouldn't necessarily expect, albums that were quite transitional for Bob. Let me know what you want to hear. You can tweet us or Instagram us at Bob Dylan Podcast, and season three will be with you later in the year. Sorry to keep saying the same thing every single episode, but if you can give us a rating or a review, then that really helps us out, um, especially if you're listening on the Apple Podcasting app. Do that, please. Uh, some five-star reviews have come in from Spun and also Beck Falls. A nice one to Bob Boo 92 as well. I've just seen a one-star review. <laughs> this says, not worth a listen, waste of time. They can't all be four or five stars, can they? But if we can limit them to four or five-star reviews, that'd be great. Uh, do leave us one if you can. As I say, it really, really helps the podcast out. Let's crack on with part four, taking a look at this classic album. This is 1964's The Times They Are Changing. Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone and if your breath to you is worth saving then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are changing as i've stated previously this record is an incredibly focused lp it's a strong product that has its sound and sticks to it. It's bleak, sterile songs of woe, central round the injustice of marginalised communities, and there's a dash of lovesickness thrown in every now and again, just for good measure. While it does manage to be consistent, it also dodges the bullet of boredom. You never get tired of these tracks, despite their slim boundaries. And whilst woe definitely seems to be the order of the day, there is some variation within that, and it's these two songs we're looking at on this episode that do break away from the norm, albeit in the smallest of ways. Take track eight, for example, when the ship comes in, it's one of the album's biggest anomalies. Oh, the time will come up when the winds will stop and the breeze will cease to be breathing. Like the stillness in the wind before the hurricane begins. The hour that the ship comes in. While this is probably the album's least remarkable song, it does stand out because it almost sounds upbeat note the word almost in there. It's hardly a song with a sunny disposition, but it does break a seven-track run of utter gloom and along with the title track has a more forthright sound to it. Again, that's forthright compared to the rest of this record. This song, though, has lost some of the hopelessness and wallowing that's found elsewhere. It also differs from the other songs here as it's more opaque. You know exactly who Bob's singing about in other tracks such as Only a Pawn in Their Game, and you know who he's addressing in the title track as he spells it out verse by verse. You certainly know the stories of Hollis Brown and North Country Blues. As a listener, you're walked through them play by play. Here, though, you're not quite so sure. It appears to be a song about change, an obvious recurring theme on this record and Bob's early work, but again, it doesn't appear to be quite as transparent as it is elsewhere. While it's not immediately obvious from the lyrics, Dylan apparently wrote the song in an irritable state in a hotel room in August 63. He'd originally been refused a room at the hotel because of his unkempt appearance. It would take Joan Byers to convince staff to allow Dylan to stay, which gives you some indication as to what the world was like that Dylan was becoming famous in. Comparisons have been made between this song and the tune Pirate Jenny from the Three Penny Opera, 
And rightfully so, that pirate vagabond feeling shadows this song's 3 minutes and 15 seconds runtime. Bob is writing the song from the position of the downtrodden. He is like a pirate that's been nullified by the establishment, which in this case takes the form of the hotel clerk not letting him stay. Dylan speaks out, saying that one day soon the establishment will have to roll over to the strong youth of the day, who at the time were willing to challenge their elders on a mass scale never seen before. The song almost comes to represent the whole counterculture movement and the resistance between the two different sections of society and generations, all represented by that hotel lobby exchange. Dylan uses the metaphor of a ship coming in for that shift in ideals. He sings, And the seas will split, and the ship will hit, and the sands on the shoreline will be shaking. Then the tide will sound, and the wind will pound, and the morning will be breaking. And the sea will split, and the ships will hit, and the sands on the shoreline will be shaking. And the tide will sound, and the waves will pound, and the morning will be a breaking. I love the opening lines here too. There's a hurricane metaphor that has a threatening, almost menacing vibe to it. Again, reinforcing that feeling of the youth of the day's growing influence. On this tune, Dylan does a really good job of not sounding precocious. At 22 years old, it would have been easy for Bob to sound like a spoiled brat, a young singer getting ideas above his station. But he manages to tread the line very well and the lyrics come across as agitated without ever erupting into a tantrum. This is especially well handled on the final verse where Dylan almost cries no mercy as he sings Then they'll raise their hands saying we'll meet your demands Your days are numbered And they'll raise their hands saying we'll meet all your demands But we'll shout from the bow your days are numbered And like Pharaoh's tribe they'll be drowned in the tide And like Goliath they'll be conquered Like the Sonics, the lyrics of this song echo the feelings on the title track. But while on that tune there was an offer to collaborate on change, this is a warning to brace yourself for it. Almost like at this point of the record, Dylan isn't willing to listen to any point of view, it's time for action and he's taking it. Interestingly, the instrumentation on the song never hints at aggravation. The track is actually quite mellow when you ignore the lyrics and the meaning behind them. It's a world away from what we'd get 18 months later as Bob spits out You've Got A Lot Of Nerve on another track that is from the same place as this one. You've got a lot of nerve I say you are my friend When I was down You just stood there Bob keeps it simple here, not for the first time. Dylan never gets too technical on the guitar, especially on these early records, but here it's super simple. We move through some easy chords like G and C and E minor. In fact, it sounds like it was written in that hotel room he just gained access to, and perhaps it was. You feel this is one of those songs that didn't change too much from its original incarnation. This is more about a feeling being captured in song than anything else. So much so that just like elsewhere on the record, the music stops straight after the lyrics finish, almost giving it a demo quality. Sonically, the song sums up the period for Dylan. It's a straightforward strum with minimal production, which was a staple for Bob's early albums. I think the majority of more casual Dylan fans think of this album as having that straightforward sound throughout, and they're right on the surface, but look a little deeper and the complexities in the sonics start to emerge. 
Take track six, Only a Pawn in Their Game, for example. It has an odd, almost erratic strum pattern on the guitar, which is a little lost in the mix as Bob's voice rightfully takes centre stage. However, listen between the lyrics, and it's not quite as straightforward as you first think. A bullet from the back of a bush took Medgar Evers' blood A finger fired the trigger to his name A handle hit out in the dark A hand set the spark Two eyes took the aim Behind a man's brain But he can't be blamed He's only a pawn in their game Dylan plays with tempo and form throughout the song. The guitar pattern matches the vocal line, almost acting as a shadow, while in the breaks of the lyrics, there's small interludes of simple downward strums as Bob draws breath. You're better than them. You've been born with white skin, they explain. And the Negro's name. In fact, the tempo's so strange, if it was a full band production, it would be jarring. Imagine a drumline to this song, it would be a mess. But because it's just Dylan, his voice and the guitar, it sounds fresh and different. That tempo gets really bent out of shape on those lines like is used, it is plain, for the politician's gain, as Bob seems to almost get stuck in a loop. You're better than them, you've been born with white skin, they explain. And the Negro's name is used, it is plain, for the politician's gain, as he rises to fame, and the poor white remains on the caboose of the train, but it ain't him to blame, he's only a pawn in their game. This loop does a great job of highlighting the lyrics. The sonics and the odd tempo really make those lines of frustration even stronger as they swell, mirroring the state of the characters on this song's story. The lyrics in this song have obviously been discussed at length, and why wouldn't you? But the guitar playing deserves attention too for just how weird and interesting it is and how much it enhances the song. This is something that is intensified on the closing track, Restless Farewell. Oh, all the money that in my whole life I did spend Be it mine right or wrongfully this is probably the most sonically advanced song on the record. In fact, at the point of the album's release, it was probably Bob's most advanced riff. It spits and spurts like an old engine spluttering under Dylan's vocals as Bob shifts from finger-picking the chords... To tie up the time most forcefully ...to then strumming... But the bottles are done before more finger-picking on the chorus. We've killed each one and the table's full and overflowed. Unlike most songs, the guitar doesn't just act as a melodic component here, it adds percussion to the tune as well. Listen to those picked parts. The strings clatter against the frets of the guitar as much as it plays the actual notes. It's not meant to be a drum beat or to keep time, but it does add a wonderful texture to the song. And the corner sign Says it's closing time. Amongst this texture and stuttering strum and picking, we have another shifting tempo. And here, once again, it adds to the song's theme. The tempo makes the song sound restless. Under those lyrics of restlessness, the guitar line sounds like it's constantly shifting in discontent, just like the nature of the track. By the time we get to the harmonica part, we're looking for a melodic break, but we get something different. (laughs) 
as opposed to getting a riff like on Visions of Johanna or a solo that brings the song to a climax, as is the case with Just Like a Woman, we get a jazzy, bluesy overlay that doesn't really complement the melody. In fact, it goes slightly against it in a nice juxtaposition. This is something that puts us in the mind of jazz or blues compositions. It has a spontaneous feel to it, and here Bob uses it to break up the verses. Elsewhere, away from the final track, there's other subtle moments of sonic advancement on the record too. It's not revolutionary, but as we've already touched on, Bob slows his guitar playing during the final verse of track three with God on our side. This indicates his disappearing patience as he sighs, so now I'm leaving, I'm weary as hell. Listen to that guitar pattern shift. But I can't think for you You have to decide Where the Judas Iscariot Had got on his side So now as I'm leaving I'm weary as hell The confusion I'm feeling Ain't no tongue can tell The words fill my head And I fall to the floor But if God's on our side He'll stop the next war. Of course, there's also a chance that on this live take, at six minutes in, Bob hit a fatigue wall with repetitive strain on his wrists, but I'm choosing to believe it was deliberate. Regardless, it does create the right atmosphere for those final lines, and that's what happens a lot on this album. Atmosphere is something that is all over this record, but it's created by Bob's lyrics rather than the sonics, which is usually the case. On a song like Knocking on Heaven's Door, for example, the opening bars set the scene for us. Its hushed tone gives us an instant indication of the song that follows. On this record, though, with a refusal or even lack of ability to set the scene with music, all the atmosphere is created by rich lyrics, Quite a feat, really. In fact, the only times we really get the instrumentation properly set in the scene is on the album's two love songs. Track 4, One Too Many Mornings, has a muted tone that feels like a scene set by gas lamp light on a cold winter's evening. This is built around the guitar sound. Listen to how it's more blunt than elsewhere on the record as Bob lightly picks his way through the chords. Down the street the dogs are barking And the day is getting dark As the night comes in a falling dogs lose their bark And the silent night will shatter from the sounds inside my mind As I'm one too many mornings and a thousand miles behind Compare that to any number of guitar sounds elsewhere, such as the Ballad of Hollis Brown Hollis Brown He lived on the outside of town or even North Country Blues. Tell you now that the whole town is empty. And we see they're much crisper than on track four. This feels like Bob is sounding out studio technique, something that would fully take flight over the next four or five releases. The atmosphere here is carried on to another song, track seven, Boots of Spanish Leather. Oh, I'm sailing away, my own true love. 
I'm sailing away in the morning. Here's something I can send you from across the sea. From the place that I've been landing. This differs from the other love song on the album as that was post-breakup, whereas on this track, the couple's separation is played out in real time over its nine verses. The first six verses switch between our two lovers as we hear a story of separation and lovesickness that comes with that. As we explored on the Blood on the Tracks episode of this podcast and subsequent ones too, Bob has a knack of writing about very specific emotions, particularly when it comes to love. If you've ever tried a long-distance relationship or spent a lot of time apart from a loved one at the start of a relationship, then I'm sure this will resonate with you. This is the story of our lovers, one who is a woman who goes away to foreign climes to, we assume with those lines about Madrid and Barcelona, Spain, going across the sea, as Bob puts it. She writes, asking whether her lover would like any gift from her travels. The stay-at-home lover refuses, stating that they only want her to come back. Verse 4 has a particularly wonderful, almost sonic-like existence as Bob whispers, But if I had the stars of the darkest night and the diamonds from the deepest ocean, I'd forsake them all for your sweet kiss, for that's all I'm wishing to be owning. If I had the stars of the darkest night And the diamonds from the deepest ocean I'd forsake them all For your sweet kiss For that's all I'm wishing to be owning But by the very next verse, we can sense that something is wrong as our travelling character seems to be getting more persistent, asking if they can send anything home, possibly out of guilt, alluding to the fact that she knows she won't be returning or that she's found a new love. Bob sings... But I might be gone for a long old time, and that's why I'm asking if there's anything I can send you to remember me by to make your time more easy passing. I might be gone in a long old time And it's only that I'm asking Here's something I can send you to remember me by to make it time more easy passing. That's the last we hear from her. As on my next four verses, the stay-at-home character is left to tell us they got a letter on a lonesome day and it only brings me sorrow. And how our travelling woman has probably moved on with those lines of, I'm sure your mind is roaming, I'm sure your thoughts are not with me. Finally, there's acceptance of the relationship's end in the last verse as Bob sings, So take heed, take heed of the western winds. Take heed of the stormy weather, and yes, there's something you can send back to me, Spanish boots of Spanish leather. So take heed, take heed of the western winds. Take heed of the stormy weather. And yes, there's something you can send back to me. Spanish boots are Spanish. This is our narrator asking for a token of their relationship to remember her by. I'd say this is one of Bob's best story songs. I love the dialogue between the characters and how it never becomes corny or laborious. In fact, I'd argue we don't really see storytelling this good until Desire. 
Listen to how the narrative song idea and the exotic location both reappear on the 70s album in a similar form. As the island slowly sank, the loser finally broke the bank in the gambling room. The dealer said, it's too late now, you can take your money, but I don't know how you'll spend it in the tomb. The Times They Are Changing is never going to be the most sonically advanced record. In fact, its instrumentation pales into insignificance compared to Blonde on Blonde or Oh Mercy or even Time Out of Mind, but it's not as simple as it would first appear. Some rudimentary but clever little moments make this record full of intricacies that cannot be ignored on repeated listens. Whilst the lyrics are what everyone remembers about this album, the music plays its part too. That is it for part four of The Times They Are Changing, the fifth and final part on this album, and the final episode of season two will be with you very, very soon. Actually, do you know what? I think this is my favourite episode that I've written for season two. I just, I'm fascinated by the music on this album. I think it has a lot more to offer than we first thought, as I blabbed on about during this episode. Um, if you agree with that and you want to hear a similar episode, there's uh, one that came out in the summer all about Bob's music compared to his lyrics. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, then I urge you to go back and listen to that. In the meantime, though, thanks once again for listening to this one. And until next time, goodbye.